Well, let me just start by thanking uh, Pastor Tim for taking last week's message. And no, I did not plan for him to have the circumcision passage. Uh, just kind of worked out that way. Last week, uh, I was in uh, Florida and North Carolina for two pastor's gatherings uh, that I was asked to go to as just part of the, um, the, the new district superintendent role. And so I didn't get back till late Thursday evening and uh, it was really helpful and just appreciative of, of uh, Pastor Tim to preach um, and to, for us to be able to continue in, uh, in the book of Joshua. Uh, I also just wanted to give a quick update on uh, where we are um, in, the, in the transition. Uh, your elders have uh, met uh, numerous times uh, over the past uh, several weeks, and uh, they've also had some opportunities uh, to hear uh, from uh, the pastors uh, as well. And uh, just want to let you know that the Lord is leading. There's really a good uh, unified sense of, of how the Lord is uh, leading us. And uh, we expect to be able to share more of that uh, with you soon. And so uh, in the meantime, what we ask for is your continued prayers uh, for the elders, the pastors, the church. And I'm just very thankful that um, they are leading well and, uh, and we're continuing to just trust God in what it is that God is doing, um, not just in our lives uh, personally, but also in the life of this church. And uh, we believe he has really good plans. So uh, we're going to pick back up in, uh, in the book of Joshua, but before I do that, let me give you a quick uh, update on how I plan to approach just the next three weeks. So we're going to finish chapter five today. We're going to look at chapter six next week. Uh, we'll be looking at Jericho. Many of you have asked about that. Are we going to cover Jericho? We will. And then what I'd like to do is pause the uh, Joshua series and don't worry, talk to your pastors already. Uh, said, they said they'll get back to that at some point. But I'd like to really take the 19th and the 26th, those two weeks, to just really share some things that are on my heart with you and uh, just some final words from, uh, from your pastor. Um, and uh, so I'll be doing that on the 19th and the 26th. So just wanted to give you a, an update on that. And today, as uh, we continue uh, in the book of Joshua, we're going to, like I said, we're going to continue looking at chapter five. What we find here are two really unique narratives. Uh, th this is a very, I've, I've told you this before, it's a very interesting book in the way it's written, just in the style and format of the narratives. And this is another one here in uh, chapter five. One is about the Passover. Uh, we're going to look at that. The other uh, about the commander of the army of the Lord, which you heard read. And, and the question that I would like to make mention of right in the beginning is this. Joshua asks, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And, and here's the thing you're going to learn as we go through this today. That's, that's not the right question. It, it wasn't the right question. And I'll, again, I'll explain more as we get into it. But it's the same with us. And, and I just want you to think about this. Too many times as Christians, we go to God and we, we have this question for God. We're, we, we go, God, are you for me? Are you for me? Here, here's what I'm doing, God. Are you with me or are you against me? 
And God, are you for me and are, and are you against those who oppose me in the different things that we're facing in life? And, and so what I'd like to do right here in the beginning is I'd just like to encourage you this morning to, to consider a completely different question. And I'm going to let you know what that is in a few minutes. But for now, I just want to ask you to be willing, be willing to allow the Lord to redirect your heart. Maybe you're going through something right now where that's a question you ask. God, are you for me? Here's some things I'm, you know, that I'm facing that are against me. Are you for me? And I just want to say, let, let God guide you, direct you, and even redirect your heart if necessary. So would you pray with me as, uh, as we ask God to do that? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come before you uh, in uh, this place uh, of worship. We thank you, God, that, that we submit ourselves to, uh, to your word and to your truth. We recognize that you have uh, revelation for us. There are things that you desire to reveal to us, your creation. Help us, Lord, to be open to receive those things and to hear from you. And Lord, even, even in that question uh, that was asked, I pray, Lord, if there if there are those here who, who just need to have their hearts redirected in terms of seeking you for you to join them, Lord, may, may, may you be able to speak to them so that they can begin to understand the desire that you have for them to submit to you. So help us to just receive your word and grow from it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're, we're in uh, Joshua chapter five last week. Pastor Tim did an excellent job of expositing that text uh, about the people of God ignoring uh, circumcision uh, for uh, 40 years. And then once in the land, they took the step of obedience to be circumcised as the Lord commanded. And so as we pick up now in verse 10, we see that the people also re-engage with another spiritual act of obedience. And this time it's Passover. And, and there are four parts to this particular Passover celebration that I want to uh, bring out to you. Uh, but before we do that, let me just clarify what I'm talking about when I say Passover. I just don't want to assume that we're all on the same page there. So what is Passover? Well, Passover was established when, when God rescued his people Israel from Egyptian slavery. And, uh, and, and you can see here on the screen some of the things that, that Passover helps us understand or the history of it. After nine plagues, uh, did not really move Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. The Lord sent a final plague. And this plague was the death of all of Egypt's firstborn sons. And, and it gave only a short window in, in which to escape. And so the meal that they were to eat prior to that, it had to be something that was eaten in haste. And so unleavened bread was essential to the Passover uh, because the people had no time to wait for the dough to rise if they were to get away. And the blood of the Passover lamb was also a significant part of the feast. They, they would sacrifice a, uh, a lamb 
and then, and then spread the blood uh, of that lamb on their doorpost so that the angel of death, as he passed over Egypt, would see the blood on the doorpost and would pass over their households. And in so doing, what, what, what was happening, if you really pay attention to the symbolism, there's always symbolism in these things and what's going on. The Israelites were marking themselves as people of God, as God's people saved from his judgment and wrath through the blood of the sacrificial lamb. And what's so interesting about that is what we just did today, right? We just celebrated the Lord's Supper of what we took part today that you participated in. You had the bread, you had the cup, and that came about during that celebration of Passover that Jesus had with his disciples. And what I think is just so awesome to think about is the fact that we have been invited into this by the Lord Jesus himself. And that's why I think it's something that as a church we should never uh, just not take uh, seriously, but also having just thankful hearts for the fact that we are invited into this meal with the Lord Jesus. So now they're going to have Passover in the promised land. So what's significant about that? Well, I mentioned to you that there were, uh, there were some things that I wanted to point out to you about that. So let, let's do that. The first is the preparation. Notice, and this was again what what Tim was talking about last week, the preparation for this Passover was circumcision. They needed to act in obedience to the identifying mark of the people of God. And and that's all it was. It was just an act of obedience. They, They just needed to do what it is that God said they needed to do to identify themselves as being the people of God. Then they could properly celebrate Passover. And so we see that in the preparation. Then we see the timing and notice the timing of this particular celebration. Look at verse 10. They were encamped at Gilgal and they were on the plains of Jericho and it was the 14th day of the month. Well, they celebrated Passover on the 14th day, but if we look back to chapter four, we see that they came out of the Jordan on the 10th day. And in between that time, They were circumcised and healing up. So all of this is all preparation for for what God is doing to prepare his people to be in the land that he has promised to them. All of it's significant. Then we see the place. The place is the promised land that, again, we see in verse 10, encamped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho. So where did they celebrate Passover last? Well, it was Egypt, right before the Exodus. Now here they are again, celebrating after entering the promised land. Land that as we talk today, continues to be battled over. And as Pastor Stephen prayed, may God bring peace and comfort to that entire situation and what is going on there. But do not lose the significance of what's going on here in this text, that upon entering the land promised, what are they to remember? Their deliverance from Egypt. So they're in the land promised, but they got to remember what it is that they have been delivered from. And how are they to remember it? Don't lose sight of this. They are to eat a meal. That's how they're to do it. They are to gather together. They are to get certain 
food products that they know are, are part of the meal and they are to eat. Again, just think of the significance of what we're doing. And then what will happen for us in our future according to the scriptures and the book of Revelation? We're going to eat a meal too. When? Well, after we've entered into the promised land, the the land promised to us. We're going to have a Passover lamb. We will have the Passover lamb with us, alive and reigning forevermore, the marriage supper of the lamb. There is so much symbolism here in what it is that God is doing and tying together. And then we see the provision. Notice the specific mention. This is very specific in the narrative in verses 11 and 12 of what, of what the provision is. Notice how the writer tells us that the manna ceased. So no more bread falling from heaven. Well, why is that? Well, the people are no longer wandering. They're no longer homeless. They have been brought home. They are now in the land that God has promised. And because they're in the promised land, they can eat of the fruit of this land. But take notice, God has still provided by giving them the land. But the land itself will give them what they need. So that's what's going on here. The, the people who, who maybe said, well, you know, I'm going to go out and look for manna the next day, they're going to they're gonna go hungry, those people. Because now they have to work the land for themselves, for sustenance. But what God is saying, don't, don't lose sight of what he's saying. Even in that, even as you work the land that I have given you, make sure you remember it was me who gave it to you. It was, it was the Lord who gave it to them. So he is still their provider. So I think I'm going to, I think I turned this off. All right. And it's the same with us. We have a blessed land. But the giver of the land is the one that we thank and the one that we give praise to. He is our provider. And we need to remember that. Sometimes I think we, we only recognize God in some uh, miracle, but not in the regular provision that he's given to us all the time. It's still God who provides. And we need to be thankful and recognize that. All right, so now we move to the next narrative in verses 13 through 15, and we're going to see here this switch, and it's kind of abrupt even. Uh, when, uh, verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. So again, this part kind of uh, begins uh, abruptly. Joshua is by Jericho, is what this text says, somewhere. And notice that he's alone. And, and, and that's really the only time that he's portrayed as such in this book, where he is kind of uh, written about in the narrative by himself. And notice the phrase, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold. That phrase is, is, a, is a very uniquely written phrase in, in the order that it, that it is in. And it's not 
uh, it's not a phrase that we haven't seen before in the scripture. It's in 14 other places, at least, in scripture. And in nine of those, where, where we see that lifted up his eyes, looked, and behold, a divine supernatural event is about to take place. So this is significant, what's happening here. And it's significant that the writer of Joshua is putting it in here for us. So who does Joshua see? Well, he sees a man. The man is standing before him. And the man has a sword drawn, not sheathed, drawn and ready for battle. So we'll walk through this and hopefully understand better what is going on. So what does Joshua do? We'll stick with the narrative and then go into some explanation of meeting. What does he do? He goes toward the man. Joshua went to him. Now, remember, Joshua is a seasoned military commander. So if this, if this man is an enemy, Joshua plans to confront him. Now, remember where Joshua is. He's in He's, he's crossed over, he's in Canaanite land by Jericho, so there are numerous enemies here. No one is welcoming the people of Israel into this land. What does Joshua ask this man? We see that in verse 13. Are you for us or for our adversaries? Joshua wants the man to identify himself, but he wants him to identify himself in a very, very specific way. Are you an ally or are you an enemy? If he is an enemy, Joshua will most likely use his sword. If he is an ally, he will be spared. It's kind of what's inferred into that question. Notice how the commander responds Part one of his response is no, neither. That's really the answer he gives. No, neither. But, but Joshua didn't really ask that question. You know, it's, 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 are you, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Pick one. But he doesn't. He doesn't answer in the way that Joshua is directing him to answer through the question. And the reason for that is because it's the wrong question. Why does he answer that way? We're going to get to that in a little bit. But we need to notice just how he approaches it. No. Neither. Then the man identifies himself to Joshua as the commander of the army of the Lord. So who is this commander of the Lord's army? Well, there's, there's really two schools of thought on this. I'll explain both, um, and then I'll let you know where I am on it. One school says that it's a, an angel uh, for, from heaven, a powerful angel, but nonetheless an angel. Um, and another school of thought on this, and the one that I would hold to is the one that I would say is the more accepted one uh, also, and that is that it, this is God himself. And in this school of thought, you would have to see this as a theophany, And that means that it's a visible appearance of God himself to humanity. And if this is God himself, then this would be God the Son, the pre-incarnate God, the pre-incarnate Son. 
of God. So think about what I mean by that pre-incarnate is we say God incarnate, right? When we celebrate Christmas, God in the flesh, this would be pre-incarnate before God himself in the flesh appearing. And he's appearing as the commander of the army of the Lord. That would be a reference to the fact that as God the Son, he has the entire armies of heaven at his disposal. And why the sword? Why does he have a sword? It's not, it's, it's not there by accident. It has, a, it has purpose. It has meaning. And it's because he's come to execute judgment. The sword is a, is a sign of that. It's a sign of judgment. And, and who is this judgment falling on? It's falling on the Canaanites, on Jericho. These nations have been living in godless rebellion for, for more than 400 years. Their time has come. And God is bringing this judgment. And then he says part three of this response is, Now I have come. It's, it's, it, it doesn't really need to be said because it's obvious, right? He's already there, but he says it and he says it with purpose by saying this. He's, he's being very deliberate. I have come to do something. I've come for a reason and the sword should make that clear. I've come to bring judgment. So. How does Joshua then respond? Verse 14, And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? So Joshua changed his approach here completely. He responds with worship by prostrating himself before the commander. This is another reason where I would see it as as an indication of it being the pre-incarnate Christ, because the angel here would not be stopping, he's not stopping the worship as we see the angel did in Revelation 19 with John. So again, just another indicator. And then Joshua asks a different question. What does my Lord say to his servant? Joshua immediately sees himself as a servant to this man, and the commander responds, take off your sandals, the place you're standing is holy. And you see that in verse 15. And so the commander makes it clear that something holy is happening here. And even the place they are standing is holy. Now, you read this, and it should remind you of Exodus 3, right? It's very similar to what happened with Moses talking with God at the fiery burning bush that was not being consumed. And in Exodus 3, the text tells us that the ground was holy. It doesn't say that in Joshua 5. It says that the place you're standing is holy. Seems to be a little bit even more general. But in both cases, you have a servant of God speaking with God before moving in obedience to what it is that God was calling the servant to do. So, backing up now, that's more of just the explanation of the narrative. Now the questions of why, the why questions. Why would the Lord God appear to Joshua in this way? So I want to give you two reasons. There are probably more we can go into, but I want to give you at least two, and we'll talk about those. First one is to make clear that the Lord God was leading Joshua 
and the people in the taking of the land, which is about to happen. This visible manifestation of God himself in this place at this moment made something clear. God was leading them. They were doing his will. That's important, and you'll see as we go on. So this is not, this is not colonization as it's been talked about more recently in, in just as we've you know, interpreted the Old Testament through what I would consider to be more of a modern cultural ideological approach. No, this was the will of the Lord God in leading his people to do what it is that he had called them to do. Second, a reason that the Lord appeared to Joshua in this way would be to make clear that the victory of his people was also the judgment of God on the nations. So many times in the scriptures, you're going to see human action resulting in a spiritual purpose And that spiritual purpose could be the judgment of God, even when the action being done by the human may not even be the right thing or or the good thing, or 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 it would you just don't even know. But what we're seeing here is in this case, he is making clear that the victory of his people here in Canaan and Jericho was also the judgment of God on the nations. The drawn sword made, made that clear. So this was not just God helping his people do what his people wanted. This was the holy God also bringing judgment on wicked nations, and he was using his people to do it. And we see also in this book, as you look forward, you'll see the opposite of that happening, right? Where God then used evil nations to bring judgment on Israel. This is what's happening. He is using his people, and they're doing what it is that he's asked them to do. So let's get back to that first question that Joshua asked and why the Lord answered the way he did. And this is important. I want to make sure we don't, we don't miss this. So the question is not whether or not the Lord is on our side. The question really is always, are we on the Lord's side? Are we on the side of what it is that he is doing. So so the Lord God is not, we need to understand this, the Lord God is not on Israel's side no matter what they do. And that's precisely why the commander said no. That's why he said neither. He could have said, he could have said, oh, I'm here, I'm on your side. But he didn't say that, did he? He did not say that. He said no, neither. Why would God say that? Why would would that be so intentionally said right before the battle of Jericho, right before you're going to go into Canaan? Because Joshua, I'm not on your side. No matter what it is that you do, the question is, are you on my side? If you are, I am with you. But if you are against me, the Lord God, you're on your own. And that's not going to work out too well. Now, we don't have to go very far in the book of Joshua to find that out, do we? You can read chapter 6 and then read chapter 7. Because in chapter 7, they get routed 
by the smaller nation of Ai after the huge victory of Jericho. Why? They were not with the Lord. So the Lord was not with them. Why? Because of sin. Sin had caused a problem between them and God, and it made it so that this battle, you're not with me, and therefore I'm not leading you. So we can't just think that the Lord is required to support whatever it is his people did just because they were his people. No, it's his people that must follow him. And that's, that's, that's one of the clear things that are, that, that's being revealed here. And this, this applies to today, too. God is not obligated to support any nation. He doesn't owe that to any nation that he's obligated. It is the nations that must submit to the Lord God in all they do. That includes ours as well. Yes, we're a blessed nation. That We shouldn't take that to mean that whatever it is we do, God will bless. Because there is plenty this nation is doing that is in complete rebellion against the Lord God. Along with every other nation. And the nations must submit to the Lord. So the question is not, is, is he on our side? The question is, are we on his side? Are we submitting to his will, not as he's submitting to our will, not as he's submitting to your will. That's, and that's what we do. We do this sometimes, though. We will we'll approach God with our will and, and kind of say, God, you, you know, what I'm asking you to do here is to support my will. And God is saying to us, I'm asking you to submit yourself to my will. So notice again what happened to Joshua after this question. His whole approach and demeanor changed. It was very different when he went toward the man with the sword, almost ready to fight him. But when he heard no, neither, and that this is the commander of the army of the Lord, he fell down in worship. Joshua was changed by this encounter. And it's, it's the same with us. We will be changed. I want you to think about that. You will be changed as you submit yourself to the will and purpose of God in your life. You'll be changed by that. Some of us want change. And so, we, again, we want change and we think that's good. God wants to change us. But then we want God to change us a certain way. And so we're asking God to submit to our will and how that change is going to happen. And God is, no, this whole thing of change is me doing work in you. So you got to submit. And so I ask you this question. Are you asking the Lord God to join you on your mission? Or are you ready to submit to him? Are you asking God if he is for you? Is he going to help you do what you want, what, what you need? Again, I just want to encourage you this morning to reverse that. Ask instead, Lord, am I fully submitted to your will, to your plans? 
in my life? Am I just fully submitted to your will, your plans? And forgive me, Lord, for thinking that you need to join my plan. Instead, help me to submit to yours. And commit yourself today to doing that, to just doing the Lord's will. And, and, and in humility, ask him to forgive you for thinking that he is obligated, that the Lord God of the heavens and the earth is obligated to join you in what you're doing. May we all instead, as we see here in this text with Joshua, fall down in worship of our great God and join him in what it is he is asking of us to do. And so the question is not, is he on our side? No, the question is, are we on the Lord's side? And, and that question, you will have the opportunity to answer that question in many different ways in your life. Many different ways. I don't know them all. You probably are aware of several of them, just things going on in your life where God is making that clear. Are you on the Lord's side? Here's an opportunity to demonstrate that. And I just encourage you to follow him. Now, Joshua learned this. Here we are in chapter 5, right? We're looking at chapter 5. We see Joshua learn this here. And I think we can say that he applied it in chapter 24. Because in chapter 24, he said... Choose this day whom you will serve. This is him before the people. Years later, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He's standing before the people of Israel and he's saying, you need to choose who you're going to serve. I don't know. Are you going to, are you going to just follow the gods of this, of this land that are around us? Or are you going to follow the Lord? Then he says, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And you can see the application here in Joshua 24 of what he was revealed in Joshua 5, that he had recognized, I just need to follow the Lord and serve him in whatever it is that he is asking of me. So let me just encourage you, whatever is going on in your life right now, may that be your approach, your thought. To just follow him, however he's leading you. Join me now in prayer as we ask God to lead us in that way. Lord, we recognize that in many ways in our lives, you uh, allow circumstances, things to happen. Relationships, people. There's so many different ways, Lord, where you demonstrate to us that you're working, that you're moving. Help us, Lord, to each person here who might be just wrestling with whatever it is that you're asking of them in their life. Lord, may their their number one response simply be, Lord, help me to submit to your will, your plan, not mine. Lord, what, what you can do in your people through that approach is just incredible. May we recognize that. A group of people submitted to God in that way. What could you do? Such amazing things. We we know that that we know you can and we know you desire for that, Lord. So I just pray for each person as they're wrestling with that. 
that they would recognize the desire that you have for them to just give themselves fully and wholly over to you and to trust you enough to follow your leading. Give us the faith to do that. And help us, Lord, to recognize that as we stand before you, it is a right response to fall down in worship and recognize that you are Lord and we are your servants. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.